What's up, everybody? Day three of this week. I've got to start off MLB predictions for you. I'm going to be doing these, try to do these daily more often, at least on the weekdays, maybe one weekend episode. But try to do these a bit more often while I've got more free time in between jobs at the moment. But even then, when I get my job, it'll be Monday through, when I start my new job, it'll be Monday through Friday. So we'll go from, kind of go from here. I'm going to start off with MLB predictions, at least for the awards for the Cy Young and the MVP. I'm going to give you three from the AL that I think could win it. Three from the NL that I think win it. Think could win it. Starting off the American League for pitcher, number one is Garrett Cole from the New York Yankees. He only has an ERA of three point oh three, which sounds a little high for maybe a Cy Young winner. But when half of your games is in Yankee Stadium, which is a great stadium, I've been there a couple times myself. Not as historic as the original Yankee Stadium, but still a great stadium. Anyways, with an ERA like that and playing in a very home run friendly park, you get the number you get the number one nod from me. He probably won't get it, but he is my pick to win this Cy Young of the American League. And I do have two more for you. Number two is Liam Hendricks, my second pick. Now this guy plays in a home run friendly park, home run friendly ballpark as well. Maybe more home run friendly than Yankee Stadium, honestly. But Garrett Cole has better competition up in the AL East or AL Beast, I like to call it. So that's why I give him the number two spot with an ERA of 2.77. And then number three is Andrew Kittridge. Closing pitcher for the Rays. Well, relief pitcher for the Rays. Tampa Bay apparently is still on a tear. The city, not the team. The team is great too, but that city is a major sports city right now. Also, Andrew is more of a reliever than a closer. However, Like, like I mentioned, however, with a 1.55 ERA, he goes in my top three. Only thing is, he's a reliever, just like Liam Hendricks, and most relievers don't, typically when the Cy Young. Although, like, although, like I mentioned, Liam Hendricks or Andrew Kittredge could change that. So far, a total of nine relief pitchers have won the award across both leagues. That was the American League, now for the National League. Max Scherzer from the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Washington Nationals as well. He was there for up until the trade deadline. Like I said, Max Scherzer, Mad Max. Nasty Max. Two different colored-eyed Max. Seriously, the guy is 37 years old and currently holds a 2.08 ERA on the season. Top five most innings played across the majors at 169 innings. He definitely has earned a Cy Young Award this year, I think. Number two is Adam Wainwright. Wainwright, 40 years old. The Tom Brady of Major League Baseball. At least when it comes to dominance at this age. 196.1 innings played. 2.89 2.89 ERA. He honestly should w- win Cy Young and MVP based off of his age, based off of his age alone. But hey, what do I know? Number three for the National League, Josh Hader, relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. 1.34 ERA. That's all you need to know. Sometimes ERA is misleading, but at this point in the season, it's really not. All right, now for my MVP predictions, the American League. Starting off number one, Shohei Otani. Surprised? Yeah. Didn't think so. You know, the two-way player crap, well, I shouldn't say crap, but the two-way player stuff usually stops once you get to the minors. Sometimes even high schools have gone away with that. It just depends on the size of the school. But he excels at both posting, at bo- at, excels at both positions, hitting and starting, pitching. Posting a 3.04 ERA with 100 strike- strikeouts, along with 45 home runs with the bat, along with 15 steals. This guy is the future of the game. Call Shohei Otani Allstate because baseball is in good hands. Oh, yeah, the Angels are too.
And number two, call me biased, Salvador Perez. Again, call me biased. I don't care. 46 home runs, 116 RBIs. And there's something people miss about this award. Like they award. They like they don't. It's MVP. Most valuable player. Key term. Valuable. Value. Value. Salvador Perez is the most valuable player to his team in all of the majors, in my opinion. I don't care what anyone says. He adds value to his team, leadership, longevity, healthy. He's had one injury-riddled year, and that's when he had the Tommy John, Tommy John surgery back a couple years ago. The Royals technically overperformed this year. Overperformed. Sure, they'll miss the 81 mark, but most had them last place in losing 100 games. Yeah, they kind of blew that prediction out of the water. Sure, the 16-9 start was a tease, but I feel like this was more of a prediction with how next season will go. Anyways, Salvi deserves MVP of the AL. Number three, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm going to say, talk about a comeback. Severely underperformed out of the gate. However, he is only 22 years old and may barely beat out Salvi in terms of homers. He's playing out of his mind. If I didn't pick the New York Yankees to win the World Series, it'd definitely be me rooting for this guy in October. I just got to make my World Series pick look good, to be honest there, because the San Diego Padres let me down. And I do have an honor, honorable mention for AL. Honestly, he's kind of tied with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Matt Olson out of Oakland. Lowering your strikeout rate to 16.1%, over 10% from the five previous seasons, 2016 to 2020, and then re- record 28 homers in the process, with a 953 percentage on base plus slugging percentage and 429 plate appearances, get you a uh, MVP nod from me. Now for the National League. Number one, hey, surprise, surprise here as well, Fernando Tatis Jr. Very may, way become the, very may well become the fourth player in modern era, leading the league in homers and steals. Also ranking first in runs scored, get you just that. Similar to Salvi, he is the most valuable, valuable player to his team that underperformed, unlike the Royals who overperformed. Number two, Bryce Harper. The guy is great. Big fan of the guy. Even left my, what did I call him? My little brother, the Washington Nationals, for a division rival, the Phillies. I'm still a fan. I remember when he came out of the gate at the beginning of his career, and it was always between him and Mike Trout. Mike Trout in the AL, Bryce Harper in the NL, Mike Trout on the West Coast, Bryce Harper on the East Coast. And now this year, especially within the last month, when it matters most, he's kind of fallen under the radar a little bit. But now it's 17 home runs, 17 doubles, 42 RBIs, all in 45 games since the beginning of August. Definitely put him down for MVP if it weren't for Tatis Jr., Number three, Juan Soto. Hey, speaking of the Nationals, I just mentioned them. Juan Solo. Sorry, Juan Soto. My mistake. Can't blame me. He plays like he has the power of the Force behind him from Star Wars. Hence why I called him Han Solo, because they rhyme. Yeah, sorry, that was bad. Probably probably the only living thing that can keep the Nats away from the 100 loss mark. I mean, it's hard to believe to see them go from World Series to a near 100 loss season in two years exactly. Anyways, he's reached base with a percentage of 529 since the start of August, hitting 348 with eight homers and a 1.114 
on-base plus slugging percentage across 44 games. Also leads the majors and on on-base percentage. Yeah, give him MVP too. Well, a nod. All right, next up, I got a bit of a little little bit of a Kansas City Chiefs rant for you. Something I should probably get over by now, as should everybody else. But I'm just, you'll see what I mean. So like I said, this is something I should should get over. It's been three days, four days, whenever you hear this. But the Chiefs' defense is trash. Reactions are frustrating. No, not because I'm a fan. Kind of. But because it's a major overreaction. And not their defenses as, whole, as a whole. It's the rush defense. So let's look at the stat sheet right now. Top three in yards allowed. You have the Chargers at three, at 324. Seahawks are two at 325. Chiefs are at 404. Most rush touchdowns allowed, Chiefs are at seven. Eight teams are tied at three. Most rush yard, most rush yards per rush allowed, most yards per rush allowed. Cardinals are at five point four, Chargers at five point six, Chiefs at six point Now looking at all this, I agree it's ugly, concerning, frustrating. Maybe the Chris Jones at defensive end experiment should end. I don't know, but maybe give Chris Jones time. He'll grow into it. It's a long season. Also, I've said it countless times, and I better not have to say it again. They allowed one touchdown against Cleveland in the second half. Ravens had some extra juice. Embarrassed by the Raiders. Got tired of hearing Lamar can't beat Mahomes. Ravens had to play a near-perfect game to beat us. Or, I say us as... I gotta stop saying that. Beat the Chiefs. And it, and it was. It was It was almost perfect. It was almost perfect. Also, some casual fans don't realize, football is all about matchups. Ravens are a bad matchup versus the Chiefs. And I'm going to leave it at that. I was going to go more on, more on of a rant, but like I said, it's been a few days. Also, it is only week two, week three now. In a few weeks, if nothing changes, then hey, I'll eat my words. But until then, everyone relax. At least Chiefs fans. Also, the Super Bowl season, the defense was worse. I remember week line, week nine, I believe it was week nine or week ten. Week it was week ten. Week loss versus the Titans in heartbreaking fashion. They had a block field goal at the last second. They lost thirty-five to thirty-two. Chiefs dropped to six and four. They went on to win the Super Bowl. Didn't lose a game after that loss. Or last year, lost to the Raiders in a stunning fashion. Went on to win the Super Bowl. Went on to the Super Bowl. They didn't win the Super Bowl. They were blown out, but they still got there. Maybe this is the game where it wakes up the team and they just go on a major run. I only see them losing one or two games, maybe. Maybe three. But before I get ahead of this, I did want to talk about something. So, the Chiefs are kind of in a spot now where they're just winning and everyone's kind of gunning for them. And Chiefs fans aren't really used to that, nor nor are sports fans. And I'm going to kind of use this as a comparison. I remember when there were times where we just couldn't beat Peyton Manning. We were average the Ravens aren't average. The Raiders are, which they did beat us last year, and I mentioned that. The Titans are, I wouldn't call them average, but they are above average. Great, good team, but still just, just above average. Or a step below great, whatever you want to call it. But anyways, I remember in 
remember what season it was. It was 2004. It was a Halloween game, I believe. And I was at this game as a kid. It was Chiefs versus Colts. And Chiefs just gave Peyton Manning a long day, like sack-wise. Like, they still allowed a few touchdowns, but they were just hitting Peyton Manning. They were just all over him. And the score, I believe the score was 45-35. And Chiefs fans celebrated. Chiefs coach celebrated like they won the Super Bowl. I remember when Peyton Manning came to Denver and Chiefs just couldn't beat him. Couldn't beat him. 2012 was horrible. 2013, I'm going to get to them in a second. 2014 was okay, but they still just couldn't beat him. They didn't have enough firepower. 2015, they finally beat him, but... Peyton Manning was hurt. Torn fasciitis, I believe is what it was called. And even though I was a 19-year-old at the time, I was ecstatic. I said, like, we beat him. Let's go. This is this is what we got. This is what we got to do. This is what we're going to do next. Like, what's next? Maybe we're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't know. And you see the Ravens doing that. And even back in 2014 when Chiefs beat Tom Brady and the Patriots on Monday Night Football, it's 41 to 14. And she was like, hey, this is what we got to do. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to go on. We're going to build off of this. And I'm not saying the Ravens won't. I'm not saying the Ravens are the Chiefs of old or like those teams of old. But you see how they act. And John Harbaugh saying in the locker room, if you want to look at the clip, go to YouTube. It's, it's cool to see. I can understand why they're happy. They deserve it. They're a great team. John Harbaugh is awesome. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Lamar. I'm a fan of a, my favorite team. On, my favorite player on that team is probably Marlon Humphrey. But... I just see a lot of comparisons from when I was a kid and how ecstatic I was over a regular season win. Yes, I'm happy when my team wins. Or I'm happy when a team does good. But I just feel like you're overreacting a little bit to a Week 2 win. It's similar to the Raiders last year. When they beat the Chiefs, they took a victory lap around Arrowhead. It was a Week 5 win. Like, just be hyped up. Maybe get a little more hyped up than usual. And then build off that. Ravens will most definitely build off that. But other than that, I don't think so. Anyways, for the Chiefs, I only see them losing one or two games. Maybe three. Those lo- Three more, I should say. Those losses, I could see Green Bay, Dallas, and Denver once. Speaking of the Denver Broncos, that's next. So I mentioned in yesterday's episode, and there was a few other things I was going to talk about, but I'm going to end off with this. Um, the other things I'm going to talk about, I'm going to save for later for tomorrow and Friday. I wanted to do a comparison between the Denver Broncos, the 2021 Denver Broncos, and the 2013 Kansas City Chiefs. There were some things about those Chiefs. A veteran quarterback traded to Kansas City after not having the most successful career, was injured, replaced, but still had a lot left in him. Alex Smith, game manager, great athlete, good quarterback. They had an established running back in Jamal Charles. I feel like he would be a Hall of Famer if it weren't for his two A's, two ACL injuries. But I'll save that for another day. That's like an off-season topic. They had two established pass rushers in Justin Houston and Tom Bahali. You had an established safety in Eric Berry. Notice I'm using the word established. Established. They had established pieces. At least one established wide receiver in Dwayne Bowe. 
a young tight end, Travis Kelsey, who was hurt. But we knew what he was he would bring to the table. A good offensive line. Not great, but good. Including first year Eric Fisher. There are quite a few others. Now in Denver, you have Teddy Bridgewater, who has struggled to stay healthy. But when he is, he can run. He can sling it. And similar to Alex Smith, he manages the game well, almost perfectly. Similar to Jamal Charles, you have Melvin Gordon. Maybe not as good as Jamal was, but still a trustworthy, established running back. Established. Established pieces to set your team up for success. Anyway, similar to a young tight end from the Chiefs, Denver had Noah Fant, who I think can be one of the top tight ends in the NFL. Wide receivers, who I think are better than Dwayne Bowe. I will give him credit, though. His 2011 season, when he had the most receiving touchdowns in the league that year, he fell off production-wise after that, but he was still somewhat trustworthy. However, they both have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Garrett Bowles is one of the best linemen in the league, similar to what Eric Fisher became, even left guard Dalton Reisner, and similar to the likes... One second here. And similar to the likes of Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, and Derek Johnson, you've got rushers like, pass rushers, like Von Miller, veteran similar to Tomba, then Bradley Chubb, and Shelby Harris. And in that secondary, you have Justin Simmons and Kyle Fuller, and a couple other studs in that secondary. And I didn't really want to run down both rosters. However, I had to show that if anyone is winning this division outside of Kansas City, it's Denver. Sure, Las Vegas and the Chargers are good teams, but I'm not sure if I could trust them down the stretch. The only reason I trust Denver down the stretch more is due to Denver having more of a veteran leadership factor. The only major differences differences between these Broncos and those Chiefs is head coach. Vic Fangio is still unproven. Andy Reid was sort of unproven, but still a great coach when it came to clock management. However, he was still a veteran of a head coach. Turns out all he needed was a consistent quarterback, just like Vic Fangio and Teddy Bridgewater. So if you mean to give you a bit of a, predi- of a prediction, Broncos. I feel like they're winning 11 games. I know in my preseason predictions, they were a little off. I didn't, I don't, I don't remember if I had the Broncos in the playoffs or not. I'll have to go back and check. But just the way this team's playing right now, I know they've played scrubs, so to speak. But I feel like they're winning 11 games. They will take second, and I think they'll make the playoffs. They might, they might even make a little bit of a noise in the playoffs. But I'm going to say that prediction, if that comes, or at least closer towards the end of the season. Hey, that might be something else I ate my words on. I don't know. We'll see. That's all I have for you guys today. Um, I was going to do a WWE and AEW story because of what's kind of going on in both of those companies. Kind of got something for you guys there. And then just more football and baseball to talk about. Kind of the MLB playoff picture and who I think will win the World Series because my... Prediction before I even started this podcast two months before was Yankees and Padres, and that's blown out of the water. Well, Padres are out. Yankees, though, they still got a chance. Um, anyways, that's all I have for you guys today. I'll record another episode tomorrow on Friday, then I'll be back Monday.